This morning we're going to be going back to 1 Kings chapter 19. We've been now in a series of messages. This is uh, sermon number 7. I don't usually do that many. I felt led this morning to preach this message. 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 9 through 13. And I want to speak on the subject, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I mean, notice that sometimes the Lord challenges us with those kinds of questions. What are you doing here? Let's read. And there he went into a cave. Say he went into a cave. And spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here? Can you say that with me? What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out. Can you say that with me? Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And you look at your neighbor and say, what are you doing here? You may be seated this morning. As we look at the life of Elijah, we have been tracing his life now for seven weeks. There have been interruptions of special speakers throughout this summer, but pretty much throughout the summer been tracing the life of Elijah and the miraculous events that have occurred in his life. What we sing about today is the miracle working power of God. And Elijah was used to seeing the miracle working power of God. Elijah, the Bible tells us, and we have traced this, these stories, that Elijah prayed and there was no rain for three and a half years. He prayed and the widow's son was revived. He prayed and the fire of God from heaven fell and burned up the sacrifice. He prayed and the rain started again after a hiatus of three and a half years. And then Elijah, if that wasn't enough, miraculously empowered by the Holy Spirit, outruns Ahab, that wicked king, in his chariot all the way to Jezreel. God empowered him to do a marathon-style sprint and to beat Ahab to where Jezebel was. And when Ahab and Elijah get there, Ahab tells Jezebel all that has happened. He's a big 
sissy kind of tattletale is what he is. And, and he doesn't have the guts to confront Ahab, or Elijah. Ahab doesn't have the guts to confront Elijah on his own. But Elijah hears from Jezebel that she is going to kill him and make him like one of the prophets that had been slain during the time that the fire of God fell. And Elijah, there is a turn. There is a new light upon Elijah. Can I tell you that no matter how strong someone is spiritually, that they can still struggle with discouragement, with fear, with all kinds of things. You see, Elijah uh, is told to us in the book of James that he was a man like us. Anybody ever been discouraged? Anybody ever been afraid? Anybody ever uh, feel like you just don't know uh, what's going to happen next and how things are going to work out? Then you are in good company, my friends, because we are human. And Elijah came to the point that he prayed that God would let him die. That's extreme. That's real discouragement. That is depression. And Elijah says these words, and I'm rehearsing what I preached last time a little bit, but he said, it's enough. I can't do this anymore. Any, anybody ever been there in your life where you just felt like, God, I can't handle anymore. I need a break. I am struggling mentally. I am struggling spiritually. God, it is enough. I need you. I need your help. I need a little bit of rest. I need some food. I need to take care of me. Anybody ever been there before? And we see that Elijah is in this situation and he needed a touch from God. So God was faithful. God allowed Elijah to sleep and God uh, fed him miraculously. The angel of the Lord comes to him and gives him bread that has been baked, heavenly bread that has been break, baked upon the coals and, and water for him to drink and Elijah sleeps again. And from those empowering moments, Elijah is able to get up and go on a 40-day journey on two meals. That's some good food, amen? And God had told Elijah, go to Mount Horeb. That's the same place as Mount Sinai where the power of God fell and Moses was given the Ten Commandments and the law and uh, the fire uh, that was upon the mountain and the smoke that filled that place and what we as Pentecostals call the Shekinah glory of God filled that place and God tells him to go there because he knows that he needs a touch from God. And we need a touch from God. We need to be in his manifest presence. We need to experience him in a new and a special way. Elijah felt like he couldn't go on. But God was bigger than his circumstance. And I come to tell somebody today that God is bigger than your circumstance. That God is not done with you yet. That God still has a plan for you. Look at your neighbor and tell him God's not done with you yet. And, and so we see Elijah who feels like he can't go on 
And he arrives at Mount Sinai and he goes and gets into a cave. That tells me he's not recovered yet. He's still struggling. Anybody ever felt like you were in a cave? Darkness all around you. Seems no way to escape it. Or am I preaching to a bunch of super Christians who never struggle with discouragement? Who never get depressed? Who never feel like what God has called you to do is never going to happen? It seems impossible to you. Anybody ever been there before? In a cave, darkness all around you, fear all around you. Although God has touched you many times, you still are discouraged and depressed. And that's where Elijah is at. Did you know that many of the heroes of the faith have asked God the same thing? Let me die. Let me die, God. David asked God, let me die. Moses said, let me die. You burdened me too much with these two million people. He's discouraged. And the word of the Lord came to him in the cave. Aren't you glad when you're in the cave that God does not leave you there? But he comes to you with a word. For sometimes all you need is a word from the Lord. Sometimes all you need is for God to speak into your heart and to your life and, and to tell you opinion a, a strange question. What are you doing here, Elijah? But God, you sent me to Mount Sinai. But God, you, you, you told me to come here. Anybody ever been there? Why do I have to preach, God? Why do I need to pastor? Why, why do I have to get up every Sunday morning and, 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 and experience uh, sometimes and fear and sometimes overwhelming stress. Why, why, God, do I have to do that? Why are you here? What are you doing here, Elijah? Anybody ever felt that way? What, what are you doing here, Elijah? God comes to him with a strange question because he had sent him there, but I want you to know that the question is much deeper than why have you come to this geographical location? And what God is asking him is very similar to what he asked Adam and Eve. Where are you? Adam, where are you? Elijah, what are you doing here? And God many times confronts us with questions that speak deep into our heart and into our motivation. And God comes to Elijah and says, what are you doing here? What was God telling Elijah? He was telling them that him that Elijah, you have a greater destiny than hiding in a cave. Elijah, you have a greater destiny than being discouraged and paralyzed by fear. Elijah, your destiny is greater than your discouragement. Elijah, your destiny is greater than the enemy that surrounds you. Uh, this morning, I come to tell someone that your destiny 
fact, look at your neighbor and tell them that. Your destiny is greater than you realize. Now I want you to look inside yourself and tell yourself, my destiny is greater than I realize. And it's not because we are so great or so talented or even so anointed. We are great because he is great inside of us. The Bible tells, the, tells us that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So I, if he's in me, then I have a greater destiny. I have a greater plan. I have a, an anointing upon my life that will carry me through to the destiny that God has realized for me. And can I tell you, I don't want to discourage you this morning, but you didn't choose your own destiny. That God has chosen your destiny. He says in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, your destiny is great because God is great inside of you. And what is that to tell us? That the enemy would like to keep you in the cave. The enemy would like you to stay discouraged. The enemy would like for you to be paralyzed by fear. But God has a greater purpose for your life. So don't give up. Don't stay in the cave. I'm here to tell you today that your latter days are going to be greater than your former days. Can I tell you that sometimes God allows us to speak back to him? You didn't have to. But he allows us to talk things out. Anybody besides me ever been mad at God? What do you mean, Pastor? Mad at God? Yeah, some things just didn't seem right the way they worked out, and I was mad at God. Now, I didn't win that argument, but he let me speak it out. Because sometimes all you need is to get it out and to realize that you don't have much to do with your own destiny that God does. That God's on the throne and he's in charge and he's the one calling all of the shots. So God allows Elijah to speak. What's the problem? What's the problem, Elijah? Why are you here? What are you doing here? And Elijah rehearses. He says, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They killed your prophets with the sword, and I am left alone. And they seek to take my life. Do you think that was news to God? Number one, one thing, and it wasn't even true. He wasn't alone. He wasn't at all alone. But God was working in the situation. How many knows that we don't see everything that God is doing? We don't see the beginning from the end the way that he does. And, and to Elijah, he's saying, God, I have served you faithfully. I have done everything that you have asked me to do. Anybody ever been there? I, look at the danger that I'm now in, and it just seems unfair, God. Why should I have to struggle? Why should I have to suffer? But can I tell you that God calls us to suffer as well as to experience victory. You don't hear that preached much because it don't, it don't make a shout. 
People don't shout about it, but there are times whenever you have to struggle and you have to suffer. Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Ooh, we like that, don't we? God, I want all of that power. I want to experience your glory. I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. And I'm so glad that we can know God in his power, in that miracle-working power that we sing about. God's resurrection is true. He can raise the dead. I have seen it. I can't go into the details. I've seen God raise someone back to life. That I may know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of the sufferings. We don't like that. Being made conformable unto his death. Elijah said, God, I'm all alone. It wasn't accurate. There were 7,000 people still serving the Lord, still calling on God. And can I tell you that it was probably because of the influence of Elijah. You don't know who you influence. You don't know what your testimony and your life does for other people. And so Elijah is throwing himself a pity party. I'm sure none of you have ever done that. I'm sure you're always encouraged and excited about life. And you've never thrown a pity party for yourself like I have. But I have to preach this word to you. Times it's discouraging. And when you are discouraged, you feel more alone than you really are. Israel has abandoned you, God. They've torn down the altars. They've killed your prophets. And what I find interesting is the very reason Elijah is discouraged and wants to quit are the very reasons that he needs to get out of the cave and live for the Lord. Challenge you. When you leave this place, go out and look at the world and the struggles, torments of those who don't know the Lord. And understand, James, that's why we're here. That's why God hasn't allowed us to go on because He's not done with us yet. He's not done with us. And God has a purpose and a destiny and a calling upon our lives. But many times we get discouraged. And can I tell you that discouragement is not a sin. If it was, we would all have sinned many times in discouragement. God has ordained you, as he did Esther, for such a time as this. And God comes to Elijah and he challenges him. Get out of the cave. And stand before the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying, Elijah, I know this is not as easy as I'm going to tell you. But when the Lord says, get out of the cave, it's time to shake off the discouragement and get back to doing what God has called us to do. Elijah, get out of the cave. Get out of the cave. You've been there too long. It's time to move forward. It's time to shake off the effects of fear and discouragement. What are you doing here, Elijah? Come and stand before me. What are you doing? 
And God challenges him to come out of the cave. The first thing we need to do when we're facing fear and discouragement is to come out of the cave and the darkness and the fear that the enemy would try to surround us with. We have to come out of it. And then God shows up. And, and I love this because the, the, of the opposites that are here. Elijah, what are you doing here? And then God shows up and he shows him where he is not, where God is not. An earthquake comes and God's not in the earthquake. Fire comes and God's not in the fire. But here's Elijah, the man of God who calls fire down from heaven and prays and rains tops and rains starts again. And the widow's son is delivered and revived. But God was showing him where he was not. And I tell you that sometimes God does not do things in a dramatic fashion. Sometimes he comes in a still, small voice. And he speaks directly into our heart and into our mind. None of the dramatic may have been there. God just speaks right into your mind and right into your heart. Get out of the cave. Come out into my presence. And I want to encourage you to get up and to go forth. That's what God's called each one of us to do. And yes, we face discouragement and hard times and, and they're real. When that still small voice is heard by Elijah, he wraps his face in his mantle and he humbles himself. Elijah realized that God was not in all of that, but that he was in that still small voice. And what did God say to him? It wasn't in our reading, but he said, go back. Get on your way. Continue the work that I've called you to do. Stop looking at yourself. Get on with what God has called you to do. And here's the good news. Elijah does get up. And he begins on his way back. And God tells him to anoint two special kings to help fight against Ahab. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not in this fight alone. No matter how discouraged you may feel, you're not in this fight alone. And then he says, and go anoint Elisha, who will be a friend and a companion and a successor to you. Here's Elijah. He feels like a failure. God, I did all that you asked me to do, and Israel did not turn back to you. So God gives him some helpers. Then he gives him a successor. There's a difference in a helper and a successor. I'm about to speak into somebody's life. In order for you to be a success, you must have a successor. We are called to train up people for the ministry and the calling to carry it on past our generation. You hear this pastor talk all the time about legacy. 
that is exactly what God was speaking into the heart of Elijah. Oh boy, I'm not done with you yet. As a matter of fact, the calling upon your life and your destiny and what I call you to minister is greater than one generation can accomplish. Ooh, that speaks to me. God, give me some successors. I might not be here all my, uh, 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 for a long time. I don't know what God's plan is for me. I'm not saying I'm leaving the church. What I'm saying is I don't, I, I don't know the plan that God has for me. And I need to be training up young people and people to come and to follow after me and to be successors in the kingdom of God. It can't be just about this generation. When Elijah begins to train up Elisha, Many times we just see the presence. We just see the presence. And we don't understand what God's doing. And Elijah didn't. So I'm, I'm not condemning us in saying this, but Elijah's ministry would just grow and get larger after this moment of discouragement and despair. And so he needed helpers and he needed successors. You hear me talk about the future. You hear me talk about that place out there uh, on Dry Ridge Road, which will be our home. It is because what God has called this church to do is greater than what can happen in this generation and in this place. I'm just, I'm just speaking that into the atmosphere, folks. It is something that the Lord has spoken into my heart and to my life. So don't despair. Don't quit giving. Don't quit believing that God has a new home for us and a new place of ministry to do more than what we currently can do here. Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing? Elijah had a call on his life. Each one of us do. God has a destiny for us. Will we get out of the cave and go do? God is honest.